Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, everybody on the other end of the B and the E podcast. Be damned. I'm just going a little bit walking there. Yeah, like it's like it was a slow build into walking. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go straight for it, just kind of found it a little. Yeah. And then I was like, be damned. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> the gradual walking. <laughs> the gradual walking. Yeah. Until yeah. it became a full on walking. Well, you know, sometimes when you're when you're starting a podcast, right? Like that? Yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> Don't say anything. You, you want to get everybody's interest. You want to get everyone thinking like, you know, I turn on this podcast. I'm going to find out. It's their first time listener, right? I just imagine it's like, I'm going to turn on this podcast. I'm going to see if I like these guys. Okay. I'm going to see if I, I'm into this shit. Right. If it makes sense. And then they, they, they start listening. They get a little curious. Yeah. Or they just straight up turn and, it off. But yeah. if they're still here. You know, now they may be uh, thinking, thinking what, Brandon? Fuck, who knows? You thought you thought that the <laughs> the walk and it's like, oh yeah, that's that makes me want to stay and listen. To be honest, I had no intent really with that, other than I didn't know what I was going to say because it's not so serious Sunday, and I don't need to know. Yep, I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, well, that's perfect because it's not so serious. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't even know what the topic's going to be. Um. I, I, I do just want to jump into this because just because it's so damn fresh and I know that, you know, on, on the show, we, uh, we talk about, you know, we talk to our guests, you know, like, like to, to people on the other end, we have, a when we have guests on, we have a little preamble with them and we'll say like, Hey, listen, like we always try and keep things constructive. We try not to like shit on things here and, and just be like, you know, another troll, like just hate on stuff. Um, but I'm going to hate on something just a little bit here. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to you, Yeah. I think you know what's <laughs> going to happen here. So, um, we just watched like kind of, we kind of just watched because <laughs> we were like in and out. Um, the first episode of Riverdale, the Netflix original series. And, you know, it looks great. You know, like, I think we could attest to that. We're like, man, like, yeah, the, the, the sort of the way that they, they do their shots, the, the lighting, the, the mood, the atmosphere, uh, really great stuff, really great production design, um, high level of production. Um, but there, it is, um, almost unwatchable. (laughs) (laughs) Not for everybody, but for us. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it was like, I think it was, um, at right around the 20, the 22 minute mark, it did one of like the things I just hate the most in terms of writing, which was just found like just a total shoehorned like little thing to just hit the audience with a shit ton of exposition and tell us a bunch of information that was so unnatural, like so unlike how real life operates. And I think this is with my problem with the show as a whole. (laughs) 
from what I've seen <laughs> is that, um, there is so little semblance of reality <laughs> in yeah. this thing. It's this weird stylized reality. And I was saying to you, you know, like, I think that maybe what they were trying to do is because it's based on Archie, you know, the, the, the fabled Archie comics that I grew up with and loved and, and I still kind of love them to a degree. And I thought, well, you know, maybe the style, like, cause it's got this kind of campy style about it. It's like, Oh, maybe it's just because the comics were campy. So they're writing the show campy, but then all of a sudden they're trying to make it really like take you ser- take it seriously as well. And they're like, Oh, we're going to make it dark and sexy. And it's just going to be murder and, you know, like drama and intrigue. And it's just like, I, so, so now I, I don't even know what I'm supposed to think about this show, but then I was like, this show's probably going to be a massive success. Yeah. Like, because it's, I, I see it as being just like a horrible guilty pleasure. Like one of those shows that people just, they watch it, they binge watch it and they go, I know it's bad. I know it's terrible, but I can't stop watching it. (laughs) I've just got to know who's going to fuck who. (laughs) Cause pretty much this seems to be like what, what's trickling this whole thing along really. And how long does it take before everybody sleeps with everybody? Yeah. Really? With those shows. (laughs) We got to pace this out guys. Cause once everybody slept with everybody, then who cares? Yeah. Have to introduce a new character. (laughs) In the first episode, surprisingly a lot of people already have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I look at that show and I think like that is, that is the industry side of taking art and paint by numbers, cliche, let's do all the quote unquote right things and, you know, and it will sell and it will make money and, and, you know, and there's a certain audience for it and we'll literally spoon feed them exposition because they're too dumb to know any better. Mm -hmm. And, and really it's like, it doesn't mean that they're dumb people. It's usually, you know, I think it's the teenage audience or just, well, let's just say most of the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, it's like, seriously, it's like, you know, kind of, it's, it's just, um, people who, who are casual watchers of television who don't necessarily engage with their content yeah, and don't engage with anything. Um, don't engage with anything. (laughs) Well, maybe not anything, but maybe they engage with things like, um, uh, no, I would actually say, you know, there is a kind of person in the world who doesn't like to engage in the world. This is actually, it's interesting. This is all kind of coming up because this was something that I've been kind of um, looking at more this, this weekend, uh, or this week, because I was playing like online video games and stuff, which I've never actually really done until this week I started to get into it. And I think that there's, um, there's a certain kind of crowd that gets, you know, very wrapped up and involved in these video games. And I can see what it's like. It's escape from reality. Like I got, I got wound up into this online gaming thing for this week and, and just totally lost track of time a number of times. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, it's hours have passed and I've been doing this and I'm like, wow, I got shit to do. I need to like, you know, I got shit I want to do in real life. You know, I was playing, uh, you know, people know this game, a Grand Theft Auto five, which is a lot of fun. I really like the game, but you can kind of, you create an avatar, you create a character in this, you live in this world, you know, and, um, you start interacting and meeting people 
And it becomes kind of like you're living in that world now. Mm -hmm. You're not even really living in your world anymore. And so I think that's where you lose, you lose track. And I think that you can get really engaged in this other person's life, this avatar's life, you know, but, um, I think this is the thing. Like, I think there's a part of us, whereas we don't, if we don't really value our life as it is right now, the art we consume is not necessarily, I don't know. It's not necessarily required to be as, as high caliber because it's used more as a distraction than something to engage with. Yeah. Right. And then I think like, I'm not saying this person doesn't engage. This is the type of person that doesn't engage with anything. That's probably a little bit too much to say, but they engage with something, but in their normal life, they're disengaged. Mm-hmm. You know, they're maybe the kind of person and, and we've all met them where you're talking to them and they're never really listening to you. They're never really paying attention. There's always something else, you know, and this could even be a, a business person. This could yeah. even be someone who's quite successful, but they just, they're not engaged in life. They don't, you know, other than kind of just getting their fix that's all they really care about. And then they move on. Yeah. And this show to me was kind of like that. It's like, well, let me get my fix. You know, this little bit of sexuality, a little bit of intrigue, but I don't really care how it's all done. You don't have to do it very well. Just give me a little of that yeah. right now. And like, we didn't even watch the show. In fact, you came in 10 minutes late and you knew what happened in the first 10 minutes. Cause there was so much exposition. It was so obvious Yeah. in a good movie. If you miss the first 10 minutes, you don't know what the hell, like what the hell is going on? You're yeah. like, I got to play some real catch up here. Yeah. So it just, yeah. you know, well, you know, I think it's that, that whole thing of, you know, uh, like entertainment art and, and entertainment. And I think that you, you call know, it, like, like you said that you're like entertainment art. art. Well, it's like, <laughs> you know, like, like, cause to me, it's like, that's not art. Yeah. You know, like the, I, I think the most, call it the most yeah. artful thing about it again, I would say is the production design Yeah, that was on the show. The lighting, think, like the, the lighting, like the tone, like the, yeah, yeah, I thought that is actually extraordinarily well done. Like the way that they, you know, the, the way that they play with light and shadow in it and stuff. I thought they did some really terrific stuff that way. Um, but in terms of the content, in terms of this, of, of story to me, I go, this is, this is entertainment. You know, this is not really, this is not really art. This is not really challenging in like the audience in any way whatsoever. It's like, we're all pretty familiar with everything that it's doing. Uh, and I think that in order for you to be doing something that is, that is artful, it, it requires, it kind of demands a a deeper level of engagement. It asks you to go a little bit further. It asks you to do, to be a little bit introspective, to question a little bit. Like it just, it puts a kind of a demand on you as an audience member, as opposed to like this, like you can, and I, I think that there's a, there can be a place for that. You know, like there are times when it's just like, you cannot like, and I think it's a balance where it's like, yeah, you can't necessarily just keep like feeding yourself, like the stuff that constantly requires you to be engaged with it all the time. If we were doing that with everything in our lives, like it's great. I think that engaging with stuff is better than not a hundred percent. Like I completely think that we should be more engaged with, um, with our lives and what we choose to do with our time and what we choose to do in our lives. Um, but you know, there's, I think there is something to be said. It's like, you know what? Like 
I need to just give my brain a rest. Mm. <laughs> and I guess that's what I'm saying about <laughs> if you want to check your brain at the door. Well, you know, I, there's that's a show for you to 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 check it. <laughs> you know, I, I agree. I, I, that's how I find it. I I tried to watch the beginning of um, that show, uh, the remake of the TV show Scream, uh, as well, and I found it to be somewhat similar in that respect too. It's this, you know, it's kind of like once, you know, I mean, our, our generation was probably more the OC or, um, <laughs> dare to say nine or two and O or something like that. Um, but you know, it's, you start to see that it's all the same shit just done over and over and over again in the same way. And now, you know, they've taken basically that old model and they've sexualized it a little bit more and they've, you know, and, and there's more, um, I guess, betrayal and, and things like that that are going on. But, you know, it's an interesting thing, I think, because when I look at the acting of it, you know, in in my opinion of the acting, you know, from a really objective place, I actually thought the acting was good for what it was, you know, considering, because I don't really know what those actors could have really done other than (laughs) what they did. I mean, it's more of a writing issue. But then again, I don't think it's the writer's fault either, because it's more of a they're probably highly pressured by the whole structure of this is what we need to do, you know, do this, you have this yeah. amount of time and whatever. And I mean, you know, um, I think, you know, it's interesting because I'm working with a lot of writers right now because my career, as I've talked about before, has kind of blossomed as a writer. So a lot of writers are going, you know, I want to have your kind of career. But I think once you start actually working as a writer, you start to realize pretty quickly that, um, unless you're like Sorkin or unless you're like really far up there, you know, there's a lot of stuff you're going to be working on or it's going to be offered to you, which is really just like pedestrian shit, you know, that needs to have a certain, and, and the thing is, is the other thing is, is that a lot of writers are under the impression that to be a working writer, you actually have to be good. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I know that sounds like, I know that's kind of a backhanded comment even to myself. Like I, I don't know how good of a writer I really am. I don't know if that's really what's made me a professional writer as much as that I bring, I was thinking about it today. I'm like, why do they want to work with me so bad? And there's like these other writers that they could hire, but they hire me. I mean, why do they do that? And I thought, I guess I have a couple interesting skills that some writers don't, which is not necessarily better writing, but I understand what it takes to get something produced. I actually understand that side of it. Yeah. So when I, when I'm having conversations or I'm talking about something or I bring a certain perspective, I'm not like, I'm within reason. At least I'm, I'm intelligent about, okay, well, like I'm thinking about how the production would actually get this done, even though I'm not producing it, but I have that in mind for it, especially with consulting jobs. Um, and the other thing is, you know, maybe like writing, writing quickly or, you know, being able to understand a certain perspective. Like I think for me, um, as a writer, one thing that really helps with me, and I don't think it's the highest sought after quality, but I have a good ability to understand character. A lot of writers who I see who are working, they don't necessarily understand character or story very well. It sounds ridiculous to say out loud, Mm -hmm. but what they really understand is like science fiction, or they understand how to create a really unique concept. They don't necessarily know how to deliver it. And so I think you get a show like this and you probably throw a bunch of writers together who all come with different skill sets. Yeah. And this is what you kind of end up with because there's no, it didn't feel like it had a cohesiveness to it. Yeah. Um, from like, 
it didn't seem like there was a writer or a showrunner or someone who was like really passionate about, we're going to say this thing. We're going to do this thing. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, okay, we got to make sure by like page 22, we reveal the thing about, you know, her, her past and blah, blah, blah. Let's make sure we get that in there. You know, and it's like, oh, we're running short on time. We're going to have to cut some pages. You know, it's probably yeah. just a whole bunch of fucking... Just, yeah, I mean, you never know what's been going on exactly no. behind the scenes, but compromises are always made, yeah. you know, um, especially on, on a level of production like that when I'm sure there's tons and tons, yeah, like there's so many hands involved with it, you know, the, and obviously a big part of it was, you know, I get it. Somebody came up with the idea of like, let's do, let's do like a modern day, like quote unquote edgy adaptation of, of Archie, right? Like, let's do that. Like, let's make them and let's make the characters all have like these kinds of like issues and problems and, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know, and they're having sex with each other. They're not just like going out on innocent dates and holding hands and stuff. Um, which is kind of weird because like, you know, the Archie comics were kind of always about like wholesome, (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's the whole angle of the show is like, it was so wholesome that the idea of making it dark and edgy is exciting in and of itself to people, regardless of how it's done. And I think that the whole show is, is basically functioning on that premise, that idea. Right. But you know, where I find that it, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm an old, older audience member. I mean, I've, and I've seen a lot of content. So like, the type of content that I personally take in, I think is, you know, is probably, I'm not like, it's just probably, I'm willing to take in a little bit more artistic than say the average viewer. But I think like what I wish they did with that show, what I think would have made it really cool is if they made it, if they swung for the fences a little bit, it's so safe. It's like, we're going to dark, like basically what they do, we're going to darken the lighting. We're going to add sex to it. And (laughs) we're going to add betrayal and like, you know, some crime. Yeah. Like basically that's it. Like, honestly, that's yeah. about all they did. And I'm sure and everyone's the super rest good the- looking. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And everybody's super good looking. Yeah. They were, I guess, kind of cute and good looking in the, in the comic book, but I mean, they're selling, they're selling that, right. They're selling yeah. like, you know, like some of those scenes with the girls look like the start of a porno. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like not as their fault, you know, it's just the way it's done. It's like, yeah. you know, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And there's a whole <laughs> conversation that can be had about like the sexualization of, of teens. Like even though the, the, oh, that's you know, a the, whole nother bag the actors in there are obviously they're not teenagers, but I mean, they're playing teenagers. Yeah. And I mean, that's a whole, I mean, we, we had a podcast where we talked about like, what the responsibility is on an artist. Like, you know, there's, that's an interesting one that I don't know if there will ever be any sort of an answer to it. It's like, does an artist have a moral obligation or not? Right. Or well, and it, I, and I, and I've had um, talks with people, they don't, they don't want to consider themselves artists. And I think that's an interesting thing because, you know, once you start considering yourself an artist, I think there's more responsibilities that come with that. And there's more mindfulness. I think some people literally just want to make money. And they'll mm. use artists to do it. And I think that the the real discussion is that if you're an artist and you actually want to contribute to cultural change and enlightenment, and that's something that's important to you, if you actually truly want to impact people with the work that you do in whatever medium it might be, um, 
I think you really need to be mindful of how much there is an industry to it and people who are fully industry and they want to just use the artistry. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you're better if you're an artist. I'm simply saying that right now, you know, it's kind of like money talks, bullshit walks kind of situation with art. And, um, not many people will create and really do so without the money behind it. You know, like, yeah. like just ask anybody, like, why aren't you making your film? Well, I don't have the money. I don't know how to raise the money, 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 money. It's yeah. like, does that really have anything to do with it? Like money is not, money is just a, I don't know. We can get in a whole this discussion about money, but the thing is with the, with the industry is that like, you know, with the money's there that usually things get made. That's really how a lot of this works. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny, right? Like I wouldn't, I, I mean, I wouldn't write half the shit I write if that wasn't getting paid for it. Yeah. I mean, in a way, in a way that wouldn't be the project I'd write, yeah. but the money's there. I mean, and it's like, I don't want to call myself a seller, but that's, you know, I want to be paid as an artist. I don't want to have to have a Joe job. Yeah. So the same, you're trying to find the balance, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole discussion. Yeah. And I mean, you also like you try and find, sometimes I think you try and find the art within it sometimes as well. It's like, okay, this isn't my first choice of something that I would do. This isn't something I would do on my own. Otherwise, you know, um, but you know, sometimes you've got to, you've got to search, you've got to find your opportunities. You've got to pick your opportunities to do something that's meaningful mm-hmm. within it. I don't know within this particular example, I I'm seeing much of that. I mean, may I haven't watched very much of it too, but you know, that first episode says a lot, you know, yeah. it really sets, sets the tone for things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, and the thing is like, is that, I can't even see there's, there's an example of, of a production that, and, and a piece of writing that did a similar thing that they could have done with this right now. I know this is a complete, this is a completely different imagining, completely different vision from what they had put forth with this particular show, but there's a great play. It's been done many times. Um, it's called uh, dog sees God confessions of a teenage blockhead. And it's a play that is basically about the peanuts characters like Charlie and Lucy and Linus and, and like the whole, the whole peanuts crew. Right. And it is, it is a extraordinarily powerful drama, like full of dark comedy. Like it is a dark, like, but truly legitimately dark, (laughs) edgy comedy that is also heartbreaking Mm. because they really get into what these kids might've kind of come out like in a real world. Right. Like in the, in the cartoons you saw them as kids and it was a pretty actually almost in many ways, it was kind of an adult cartoon at the time it dealt with some pretty mature themes and concepts, but then you go, okay, so what happens when they're older, when they're like seniors in high school, what, what would happen? And it's, it's awesome. Like, it's really incredible. Like each of these characters is just like, Whoa, like they've got, they've got fucking issues, man. Like <laughs> real stuff. And it was like, and so it became this weird sort of little hit play that like started off Broadway Mm. and I can't remember who the first cast was on it, but like, it's insane. 
Yeah. I think I have the play at home actually. Oh really? But yeah, the, the first cast that ever performed it was like pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, Patrick Fugit, who is like, people would know him from almost famous and stuff like that. Um, he's done some bunch of other things, but yeah, he, I think he played Charlie actually in it. And, but I wish I could remember who else was in it, but yeah. you're like, Whoa, this is an incredible cast. And was this off Broadway hit, right? Wow. Yeah. Really good. Really powerful. Dealt with really big stuff, Huh. really big stuff. Well, and it was funny, like made you laugh along the way, but then just kind of like totally destroyed you and others. You know, that's, I mean, it's, it's tough, right? Because I think that, you know, there's a, I, you know, the thing that I would, I, that I take away from this whole thing with Riverdale, you know, or, or any of these types of shows is I look at it and I go, okay, well, you know, right now there's a business to creating content. There's a business in so many ways. I mean, we're, we're live streaming right now. We're building podcast episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there is money to be made in creating content. There is yeah. power to be gotten. There is opportunity to be had. So we live in a, in a time of, you know, of that. Right. And so I think with television and movies and things like that, what I think what a lot of artists don't realize, at least who are in the film industry is that, yeah, it's, you know, if you just create something independently, content is not just necessarily going to be bought and like taken and whatever, but there's content needs to be made. People are consuming content at a rate that I think is higher than it ever has been. Oh yeah. Um, and so, you know, with, with these types of shows, what they do is they're like, okay, well, this is like a safe bet. You know, I, I'm sure that the people who are involved realize it's not the highest end art. You know, they, they realize it's not like the top end stuff. I mean, I'm sure people who get on there have hopes and dreams of things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is this. And I, and I think the thing is, is like, I don't, I don't, prefer to consume it. And I find it's ridiculous that people do, but it also makes me go like, well, why don't we put out better content? It just makes me wonder like what, why? And, and I think it's, I think it's the plight of the artist. I think it's the thing is that we just don't believe in ourselves enough. And we think that people who have the money and the power know, and they don't, you know, I was having a conversation with the writer producer just, um, a, yesterday or the day before. And we were talking about how, you know, most of these, like so many people who are getting movies made and who you would consider are a big deal. They don't know what a good script is. They just don't know that what they're waiting on is someone to tell them what a good script is. Right. And then they're go, okay, you guys, this is good. And you're a trusted source. Okay, well let's make this movie or yeah. whatever. Or you seem I, to know what the fuck you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And they have more just their business savvy and stuff. And so, um, what I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's this way that this industry, at least in film works, which there's a lot of authority given to people who should probably, or have not really earned that authority just Mm -hmm. because someone is like, we were having a discussion. I was talking with this producer, writer, we were talking about all this stuff. And he was saying like, someone comes to me and they say, I'm a producer. I go, okay, what kind of producer are you? That's the first question. What what do you produce? What kind of producer are you? Oh, I'm a producer. They'll, They'll say, I'm a producer. Or they'll say, or whatever, you know, I've done, or whatever. It's like, oh, what did you do on it? What, what, in which yeah. form did you produce? Yeah. How did you produce? What did you actually do? Because what, was what the a lot role of people like, and, and actors and filmmakers and writers need to understand what kind of producers there are. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, this is the whole reason why I created the school. I wanted people at least to, at least on the very first, understand what the fuck this shit is. Yeah. Like there is an associate producer. Basically that's like a, a throwaway title. Like that person has almost probably no power whatsoever. Yeah. Maybe they have power. Maybe they actually have a lot of power. So the thing is, is you want to start to understand though, that the associate producer is like kind of bottom of the barrel. Then there's executive producer. Okay. Well, what's that? Executive producer is probably some people think is the most powerful, but they don't know anything. They just maybe brought the money. Then there's sales producer, creative producer, line producer. There's the producer. Yeah. There's co-producer. There's, there's these terms. And yet, can you imagine, just think about this. Could you imagine getting into any business other than acting or filmmaking or writing where you didn't understand the hierarchy and positioning of how it actually works to get something made. And we go into this. Like when I was an actor and I started, no one ever explained that shit to me. I didn't know. I just thought a producer was a producer. You know, one time we had a play and I know I'm going off here, but one time we had a play, a quote unquote producer shows up and says, yeah, I want to, you know, give you, give you a role or whatever. I didn't know. I hear producer. I think, Oh, this is my big break. Meanwhile, I didn't realize that this person, like there's certain types of producers that have produced certain types of work or have done certain types of things. And like there's a manipulation and there's a whole sort of bullshit that goes on with this industry. So I just think it's kind of, um, it's interesting, right? So I just think people don't understand. And I think the reason why content like this gets made is because you have people who, who have maybe an unearned authority who are running kind of the show and they know how to make money with content. And so, yeah, you know, I think of all the people that are on Riverdale, like, yeah, you got paid, you probably got paid really well, but most people are probably just being used by the system, unfortunately. And yeah, it's good for your career and it's great. You're getting out there and it's a stepping stone in your direction. But I think if you ever want to leap from that position of being a used creative or a used artist, you need to begin to understand how the system works a little bit more, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and until you do, you're always kind of going to be a little bit at the whim of it, you know? Yeah. And maybe you'll get lucky, but like, why would you want to leave your entire career up to luck? You know? And maybe you're just so good looking or so whatever that it's kind of almost, you you know, in this industry right now, if you are, you can like just almost fall into success in some ways. But the thing like, and I understand like, and you know, it is such a crazy balance, especially, you know, for young actors out there, you know, I see some of the young actors in, in this show and I'm like, you know, if this thing is, becomes a a success and I, like I said, I think it's going to be a success. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like one of those guilty pleasure shows for people. Um, but these, these actors, you know, I get it. Like you get an opportunity and like big opportunities don't come up very no, often gonna... for like a young, hungry actor. And you try and strike when the iron's hot, right? It's like, Oh shit, I've got this momentum. You try and like get some more stuff, get some more stuff. And you know, you'll get hired because, Oh yeah, you're hot. You're hot right now. People like you, I'll hire you. That's, that's how the, the industry works. They don't, they actually don't really give a fuck about your ability. Right. Or, you know, necessarily even about you as a person, you know, you are, what they can make back. Right. Or what they can make back. And then, and then on top of, right. Right. Like that's, that is what you are. And there's no sense in, in being angry about that being upset. That's just, and I'm not going to say that that's how it is for 
everybody, you know, there's, there's wonderful, um, people within the industry who really do care about the relationships and forming strong relationships with people and they continue to work with them. But when you see something like this and shows like it, you know, these are things that are, that are here to be like, okay, let's see, like, let's see if this hits, right? Let's see if this person hits. No, ah, shit. Sorry. Well, it's right. Like, like yeah. it's like, it's, it is. it's, it's like, like sorry, let's like see if this person hits. Yeah. yeah. It's like better luck next time. Wish it would have gone better for you. It didn't. This guy seems to be what's hot right now, or this girl seems to be what's hot. Right. Sorry. Right. And at that moment, you better fucking have something else like that you're hanging on to, you know, like within yourself as like an artist. And that's why I always encourage like, yeah, you know what? strike when the iron is hot, try and like do like use what momentum you can to, to propel yourself, but you know, use it in a smart way. You know, it's like, is like for somebody who is on the show, for example, like, like Riverdale and someone's like, Hey, you know what? The show is a success. People like you. Here's another show or a movie. That's pretty much exactly the same fucking thing you know, maybe that's not the best decision to make, you know, maybe you do another thing and it's like, yeah, it's like, it's going to have a big budget and it's going to, you know, get in front of a big audience, but maybe it's a piece of shit. Yeah. Right. Like maybe it's a pile of crap and you've got another opportunity to do something that, you know what, you're going to be taking a big pay, you know, like decrease on it, but it's a really great project and it's going to allow people to see you in a different way. Right. It's going to allow you to show your chops in a different way to, and push yourself for like, that's another huge thing. And it's like, it's going to ask you to, to like do something beyond maybe what you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. but then that builds something else, you know, that actually I think starts to build a longevity within, you know, especially in, in a career that can be so fickle, you know, it's like, okay, you know what, maybe you're not so hot anymore, but you did this you did these things and people saw that you're actually pretty good. And you're like, Oh, you know what? I really liked them in that. They were like, they, they surprised me. And now you've got, now you've got a a kind of a credibility. You're, you weren't just, you know, the flavor of, of the week. You know, there was something real, authentic, genuine about what you bring. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's something always to keep in mind. Hmm. when these types of trends and these hot things happen, because they are like, they are so they, they come and go. And, you know, and you, you absolutely, I think you do have to, it's, it makes sense to try and capitalize on the momentum that you, that can come your way from doing something that can have big mainstream success. Um, but it's, being really mindful about what you're going to do with that. And for me, in in my opinion, it's like, if you have that going, look at doing something, look at doing a great indie, mm-hmm. you know, that's looking for somebody who's like, Hey, this person's really, we need somebody who's popular, right? Like it'll help us. It'll help us to get financing because this is what, maybe we'll get a little bit into this. Cause this is kind of what we're involved in right yeah. now with, with our own production of our own film, um, on the highway. And I think that people don't necessarily realize some of the, the thought that goes into being an independent 
producer, independently filmmaking. And you have to factor in all of these things. Do we have a name involved in this? And if we don't, how much are we willing to spend? Because, you know, a, a name means usually you can get a bigger budget mm-hmm. and you can draw a bigger audience, right? Like it's and this, get a bigger return and get a bigger return. Most important. Yeah. And so you start looking at, it's like, okay, well, who's, you know, when you're a small budget, you know, you don't have a lot coming into it. You're looking for people who you can bring on, who can potentially help draw an audience for you, but can also do a good job for you as well right? Like who are also going to be able to fulfill the demands that are occurred because Indies are typically projects of passion, mm. right? You know, it's typically not always, you know, <laughs> sometimes they are, they're used as stepping stones, mm-hmm. like, especially like within the horror genre, but there's a lot of innovation that still happens within independent horror genres because they got to get creative just because of the budget. Yeah. But anyhow, I digress. No, it's a good point. You're bringing up. It is, it is, I think mostly used as a stepping stone. And then it's also an outlet, which is like for artists that have been more mainstream, they'll try an outlet. They'll go in another direction and sometimes it won't work out, but for them it was fulfilling. Yeah. But for usually for the filmmakers and the creatives, the indie, um, beginning stages is, you know, how do you get, how do you start becoming a filmmaker? You start making films and it, you know, and people will scoff at your little budget, but it's kind of like, you know, don't, don't let that deter you because there's like, you know, and, and I just, I know you're on a topic point, but it's like, I would just say to any filmmaker and it's the lesson that, you know, I've been learning and it's been kind of being drilled into my head too, is that if you want to be a filmmaker, um, swing for the fences, but at the same time, you know, you know, it's like you, you can't get the name until you've made a film that has some pull, but you yeah. can't make a pull. You can't make a film with some pull until you get some with a name. So yeah. you kind of, you kind of go and you kind of do it and you, you plan on the, um, on, on like what I've been learning more is like you plan on going and going, okay, well, I'm not just making one film. I'm making three films. I'm making five films. I'm making seven films, whatever it is. Yeah. But you have a certain amount. And so you go, well, there's a certain part of you that goes, should I just put all my eggs in one basket and just go for it? Or should I, you know, make a lower risk? And the, the advice that I would say to anybody though, is on the independent, a good story is a good story. And you know, you might regret and say, Hey, I didn't put as much money as I could have. I didn't go as far or swing as hard as I could have, Yeah. but you still got a hit. And that's better than striking out every time mm-hmm. and especially striking out with everything you got. Cause then you never make a film again Yeah. or it just takes a lot longer to do it. So I think that on the indie, you know, indie side is like, yeah, yeah, we're thinking about that. We're trying to play with it. And, and I think the other thing too is, you know, when we're doing on the highway, I know I kind of, I don't I mean to cut you off, but as you go on the highway, right? Like, so we're doing this movie, we got this low budget, what you're doing, if we do with no names, but then if the name comes along, the thing is, is what's funny is the money will come along. It's just how it works, yeah. you know? And so then you'll raise the budget. And then the thing is, is what will happen is then if that actually gets some appeal, then maybe another name pops on to another one of those roles. And, and then you start working in that. And I think the thing is, is to go, um, what's at what point do we just pull the trigger on this? Do we just do it? Like, because mm-hmm. I think what I learned with the burning blues project was that you can go from this really small project that's like about to be made to like, Oh, we got a bigger budget. Okay. We got this thing. And you can get caught in this, um, wheel of forever 
Mm. It could be better. And at a certain point you just have to go enough is enough. And the problem is, is if you wait too long, you start losing things you got in the first place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and you, and it reaches a point where it's like, well, you don't even know what you're really losing or gaining right. anymore. It's just like, is, is it going to make it better? I don't know. Yeah. You know, at that point when it's like, you can't really tell, maybe it's time to just pull the trigger, Yeah. you know, and just like, just let's, let's make this thing. Right. Because it's like, oh, well, we might be able to get this person on this. Will, will that necessarily make it a better film? No, not really. Like maybe, maybe the film is stronger with a smaller budget. You got that one name person surrounded by a cast of unknowns and that'll actually be better than, you know, trying to make stuff fit to just bring some more names in. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's plenty of bombs out there that have a list, like massive a list casts. Like it doesn't, it's not a guarantee of anything and, and it doesn't even necessarily mean it's more quality. No. You know, I've seen plenty of ensemble casts where you go, that looks great. And then you just go, what the fuck happened? Right. Like, <laughs> well, there's like so many, there's so many pieces that have to come together. Like when we were watching Riverdale, for example, I was watching it and going, okay, well, what do I, what do I appreciate about this uh, particular show? And I went, well, I, I actually really like the lighting. I was quite, quite impressed with it. Oh yeah. The I, lighting's great. The lighting is great. <laughs> the, the, the set deck was quite, uh, yeah. quite exceptional. Um, the, uh, you know, some, there was some really neat little shots every now and then that the directors and, and, uh, I'm sure the DOP had a lot to do yeah. with and just the crew had a lot to do with pulling together. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of things that were really good. And I thought, man, like if you shot this the same way, but you had a really compelling, really like nuanced story that actually didn't just spoon feed you exposition, but actually like really brought these things and made these ideas real. Mm -hmm. This could be really, really good. Yeah. But you know, and then I was looking at the acting, I'm like, is the acting not good? I'm like, actually the acting isn't that it's not good. Actually the acting is probably fine. I actually, I looked at the actors and I went, you know what? They're well-trained. You can tell. Yeah. They're well-trained. I mean, they're not having real moments. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But from a, uh, from a point of like, I wasn't looking at it going like the acting in and of itself was bad, at least not, you know, but I was looking at the writing and I was like, the writing was horrible Mm -hmm. And, and horrible. And I'm not, and I don't even know if that's the writer's fault because there's just this exposition bullshit. And I don't even know if like, like, I wonder is if, if the writers are handcuffed, you know, to having to spill it and share everything with everybody, because like, that is absolutely what you, you know, it's like writing 101 exposition is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Right. Like, like avoid exposition, like the fucking plague. Obviously it's the reason why we talk about it is because you're faced with it constantly. Like it's like something that is put in front of you always. It's one of those things that I can't believe still makes its way into, into film and television. Like I, I just, it boggles my mind that this is something that still finds its way. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of the cardinal rules of, of writing and of good storytelling and for it to be okay still is just insane. It blows me, it blows me away too. I mean, you know, like we have so much content out there. We have so many stories out there that doesn't like, like how, how do you miss that? And the thing is, is that it's usually so easy to like, well, I'm not going to say it's so easy, but 
it's not as difficult as you think to eliminate it. It's like, you know, because I get it. Sometimes you need to get some information across, you know, there's, there's things about the story that need to be communicated. The audience needs to know this information in order to have some, uh, some context to what's going on. Um, and that, but that should all be around somehow still fueling your, your connection to it, like emotionally and, and personally to what's happening. Um, but from my experience of writing is like, and, and I catch myself usually like, I don't, I, I not for a long, long time. I've never noticed myself writing big pieces of exposition just because of how, like, just how much I hate it. (laughs) You know, like, I'm just like, nope, like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Right. So it's about really actually trying to find ways in which it would make sense for this information to come out that doesn't completely bend my thing from reality. Because like what we saw in this episode was literally like, it was, it wasn't even a good reason for this information to be coming out. It was like, it was like, they didn't even try. Like, honestly, they didn't even try. That's what it looks like. It sure. Yeah, it sure looks like it sure looked like it. I hope that there was that that wasn't like the best version that they came up with. Um, but, typi- yeah. but typically <laughs> when I've caught myself doing little bits of exposition, right? Because sometimes there is, there's like, I'm like, ah, oh, they like, I need this, like the audience to know this little piece of information in this scene, you know, that needs, they need to know that. And sometimes it requires a little bit of thought. I've got to go, okay, well, how, how would this information come out? How would this, how would this come out in a way that is human? Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't just like, all right, we need some excuse for this information to come out. It's like, what's an actual organic way that this would, would be expressed. Right. And sometimes it's like, it comes out in a way that's really, really like it just, it's so simple that you can't believe that you didn't see it before. Yes. And you're like, whoa, like, and it's usually less than you think you needed to do. So I have a theory. Yeah. I have a theory that writers are poorly trained in screenwriting. Okay. And, and the reason why I have this theory is, I mean, I, I, they hire, I've been hired on so many jobs now to be con- a consultant, consultant on uh, screenwriting. And I'm realizing more and more that writers are just, they're, they're, they're poorly trained. They're just poorly trained. And I mean, it's because I think, you know, and I'm not a novelist and I'm, and novel writing is something that is, a, is something that I'm very excited about getting into. I've begun my first novel. I'm probably about a third of the way through now, but, um, uh, with novel writing, you're allowed a certain type of exposition. There's a certain way in which you can um, allow information to come out and it doesn't seem forced. It actually seems quite natural Mm. because there's a way in which we think, which, you know, I think you talk to anybody. I mean, if you, 
if you, if someone's not caught in a dramatic moment, right? They're not caught in a really tense moment, which you can get away with in a novel. Someone could be talking about their environment. They could be like, for example, I watched a video today of walking through Barcelona, um, and the ruins and stuff over Mm -hmm. there in Spain. And, um, okay, let's just say I had to write that in a novel. If I wrote that in a novel, how would I describe that? I might talk about the way the rock formations were, and I would discuss that Mm -hmm. because in my mind, I'd be going, wow, like, look at that. Like, is that going to fall over? That kind of looks like it's going to fall over. I'd be saying kind of that to myself, but in a movie, you don't get to do that. And so like the reason why I think screenwriters are poorly trained is that screenwriting takes a lot of faith and trust that people are getting what you're putting down without you ever putting it down. Yeah. And there's a scene at the end of Riverdale. I, 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 I ask anybody on the other end to watch this scene. Yeah. I just point one out. It's a great example. And it's a lot about what you're talking about. It's the last scene of episode one of the, of the television show Riverdale. There's the gay character walking with one of the football guys and they're going to have sex or something in the bush. Okay. And he's selling like, so he's like, yeah, you're on the football team and you're gay. And he's like, you know, it's like basically saying like, he's like, but it's okay. You know, it's our little secret, whatever the fuck he says. doesn't matter. It's all (laughs) bullshit. It's all bullshit. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all expository nonsense. What they could have done is have him, the gay character who we already have established as gay walking with one of the football guys and imagine that they did this walk from the car into the bushes without really even saying anything. That would be fucking interesting because yeah. you've got the one guy that's openly gay. You've got the other guy that doesn't want the rest of the football team to know he is. Yeah. And they're walking into the bushes together. Now, if they talk about it, it becomes fucking obvious and, and expository and bullshit. But if they're walking in there and one guy's one guy is comfortable and the other guy isn't, it, it becomes more real. It becomes more, cause that's probably how it would really happen. Yeah. Then now spoiler alert, but it's no spoiler. I mean, fuck you. You could guess this is going to happen probably about 15 minutes into this show. Yeah. They find a dead body, which is obviously the kid they talk about at the beginning. It's mm. so fucking obvious that's going to happen. But anyway, they find him. Now, what if they were kind of getting to the point where they were kind of taking off, someone was taking off the other person's shirt. You'd know immediately. Okay. Two guys, someone's taking off someone's shirt. Something's going to happen. You know what I mean? Even if it was a guy and a girl, it doesn't really matter. I bet some people on the other line who aren't comfortable with that kind of stuff are already getting uncomfortable because that's what silence can do. Yeah. When you talk about it, it fucking makes everything kind of bullshit because it is bullshit. But the thing is, if they were about to do something and then all of a sudden they found the dead body, that would be impactful. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's like just tr- you got to trust though. You got to trust the audience can understand that we already know that guy's gay. We've already seen this guy on the football team. And the fact that they're walking into the bushes together and the fact that now this guy just unbuttoned the other guy's shirt, we know, we know you don't need to tell us. We get yeah. it. It's pretty fucking clear right? That's something weird is going on here. That's not yeah. say, I'm, I'm not saying that being gay is weird. I'm just saying that something that is unusual to like, you know, common culture, common with this, yeah. we get it right. And now they're just seeing the dead body is enough. Okay. So what did they do with this? Now I, I dare anybody to go back. Cause I want to, and anyone who's a screenwriter or a writer, I just want to give you guys a good lesson here. Go back, look at that watch it as though no one said anything. You'll see what I mean. Then you'll see Archie has this fucking, uh, monologue, this voiceover thing where he's like, 
the whole world, like, you know, or whoever the hell it is, is talking. I think it's Archie, but someone's saying like, and then we all shared it on social media and everybody knew the next day about how he was shot in the head. How about do this? Show the guy found in the river, bullet in his head or bullet wound in his head. Show him on the, on the table and the slab about to be opened up and then have everybody just have a whole group of people at the school looking at their phones with their expressions of like, <gasps> yeah, don't say anything. We get it. Everybody fucking knows. Cause they just looked at their phone or they're talking or whispering yeah. in each other's ear. And all of a sudden you didn't have to say shit and it's way more impactful. Yeah. But like, it's, that's the problem with expository is like, well, I'm going to show you and I'm going to tell you. Yeah. yeah. And it's like one of the, and again, one of the other cardinal rules of screenwriting show don't tell. Yeah. Like show us, show us like, we're not stupid. Yeah. We can put shit together. You know, like you don't have to spoon feed everything to us. You don't have to like, you've already shown Yeah. You've already shown us. You don't have to tell us now. Like it's just, it's redundant at this point. And now it's actually just annoying you know, like get on with it and move with it. But sometimes I think it's just like, sometimes I think it's actually just filling in because there's not a whole lot really going on. In no, terms there, of, yeah. There's not, not enough depth. Yeah. And I mean, that's the problem. Like, how can you act that you can't, you can't act the same thing you're talking about. You just, you can't, because if you think about it this way, like nobody really talks about their feelings and nobody really just openly talks about their past. Mm. I mean, I've known people for years and then finally something will come out where they will share something that happened to them. Like I have a friend. Okay. Now this is, um, probably uncomfortable for some people on the other end of this, but I have a friend who, you know, it wasn't, I mean, I've been friends with this person for a year and it came out recently that they were molested when they were a child. And you know, I never knew what they were struggling with. I never knew what they were up against. And then this person explained to me a little bit about how this person did it and how they, how they got away with it and what they did and, and their process of dealing with it. Now you don't meet somebody and this stuff doesn't just come out the moment you meet them. Mm -hmm. This moment you were talking about in Riverdale, where at minute 21 to 22, they talk about how the brothers in the hospital and all this other stuff. And it's like, how about you just let that little secret just sit, just know it's there, but don't tell us until like maybe near the end of the show, like not the show, not even the episode, but like episode seven or, yeah. or, or 22 or whatever the hell, however long it goes, you know, let us know near the end, like, just like, like ease off a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, um, I almost, it, it's almost like if you went on a first date with someone and all of a sudden they were like, we should get married. And you'd be like, yeah. Okay. Like hold the horses. Like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that in the problem with a lot of the way that, that stories are written within it is it's, it's actually, it stems down to a human issue is that it's in a big fucking hurry to get somewhere to somewhere. No, I'm good. Uh, to get somewhere that they think is more important than what's happening right now. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, you know, you watch these scenes, it, it really looks like they're just like, they're, they're really just trying to get to this thing here. Right. And, and we're just trying to fill in the gaps as to how we get to this thing. 
Yeah. Right. Whereas it's like, no, let's really like, like every scene is important. Every scene is saying something, you know, every scene is really diving into the, the muck and the mess of what's going on and what that might actually look like for these people. Right. But it's always like, all right, well, we got to make sure we got to get to this thing. Right. So just get, get something in there and then we'll go with that. And then this will be the good scene. Right. (laughs) Then we'll have this great scene. It's like, well, that scene's not going to be fucking great unless we, you really care about what's happening. Right. That's the, that's the, the catch 22 of the situation. You know, it's like, none of that's going to have meaning. This thing that you're trying to build up to, nobody's going to care. Right. If you didn't care about everything that led up to it. I think you, you raised the right point. I mean, that's it. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I've been working with is, so we're going through new drafts on this true story I've been working on. And the story that happened in real life is fascinating. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, quite amazing, you know, and the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of blown away. Um, one of the challenges I'm having is, you know, uh, he wants to share like all the details and, you know, and as we're going through the process, I mean, the hardest thing about me writing it was I had to break a lot of rules that I have as a screenwriter. Cause I had to share a lot of expository information to yeah. make sure that, he felt like his full story was told, Mm -hmm. you know, now I think that, um, we're at a point where it's like, okay, well here, now we have the full story. Like you, you have the story written out as a script, pretty much as much detail I hit, I hit, which is, I think pretty impressive, about 107 pages. And with the last little notes and details, and there's one more scene that might be added in, it might hit 110. But the fact that I crammed this whole story into 110 pages and got all the details in, I feel is fucking masterful as a writer. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. No, like, I've been I'm, learning. I know to, you're not. I've been learning to appreciate that because I fucking hated my writing through this process. It's been one of the hardest projects I've ever had to write in my life. But, um, there's these little scenes in it that are fucking golden because they're not expository. And the thing is, is what I, my hope to do with the script and I don't necessarily, and probably won't have the control over this happening but I, hopefully I can hang in the project long enough to be a part of it. But what I hope is that we can gracefully, um, cut out the expository information about what happened so that the audience can actually kind of, um, guess at what's happening and, and kind of play along with it without us telling them the hardest part is going to be, you know, it's like script blindness. You just get so close to details. You can't even see, you can't, (laughs) you can't see your good writing from your bad writing anymore. Um, and the problem with, you know, um, who the story is about is that for him, it's hard for him because he can't see separate from the details that happened. So we need to get kind of a a third party in there to come in and be like, okay, this is how I, this is how your script reads when no one says anything like, like just from a, outsider point of view who's not attached to the story. And one of the interesting things is like, I'm trying to marry the situation of feeling like the, having, um, the true story be honored, but also having it hit kind of the things we're talking about in, in a screenplay. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, 
it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah. I look at Riverdale and I go, you know, one, one luxury they have is like, they didn't have a lot of information they had to cram in there. Like yeah. they maybe like, they maybe like just pull it back a little bit. Cause they revealed like they, they started the first episode with this guy. I mean, basically how it begins is a guy and a girl went out on a, a on a raft he reached over to get her glove because it fell over and he fell over, tipped the boat. And then he ended up drowning because the river took him away or whatever. And, and, and they buried an empty casket and, and within the end of the movie, which is this 40 minute or a television show within the first episode, they revealed what happened to him. Like that's too soon. I don't want to know what happened to him yet. Like leave it a few episodes. Let me wait on that. Put a pin in that for a little bit. Like, like if you got a television show where you have 12, 13 episodes or 20 X episodes, like why not just put a pin in that? Let, let that sit for a little bit. If you reveal yeah. it to us too quick, like we don't care. Right. But like, yeah, it would have been nice to have some mystery about what happened to this kid. Yeah. You know, cause, cause yeah, he was shot. Yeah. Right. Like that was the, the thing. Spoiler alert. Um, he was shot. You knew something bad happened. You just didn't know what. Yeah. And then now, now you're going, okay, why was he shot? But what have been more interesting is like, save that till episode three and then make me wonder why he was shot. Yeah. It's like, what, like, why don't we deal with like, like just going with, with all of these, like everybody dealing with just a tragic death. Right. You know, like, and then you're, you, and as an audience, we're go- moving along with it and saying like, okay, and we've, we've accepted, this is what's going on. And then suddenly they find the body and they're like, what? Like this person was fucking shot. And now you've got like a really good mystery, not just for the characters, but for the audience too. And for us as, as viewers, we're like, holy shit. No, I'm actually on the ride. But from the very beginning, from very early on, you know, something was up this whole time. They gave it all away. And it's like, you know, you've got so much territory to kind of cover, you know, it's like, pick your battles, tell, tell some things very simply. And like, you know, you try and throw too much shit into it sometimes, you know, I think that that's another problem I have with a lot of stuff like this. It's like, they just, they, they just try and pack too much shit into it. They try and make it complex right from the beginning. It's just like, tell something simply like tell a simple story first and foremost, like mm-hmm. you've, and then you center everything around this. And now you start to find the things that are going on within that, you know, right. It's, but it, you can't, yeah. you can't start out. It's like, okay, we've got, and we've got to like throw in, you know, we've got to throw in this character and this character and this character, and we've got to put on this story, but then, all right, we've got to get this story and we've got to create this, you know, love, love, not even a triangle <laughs> as we discovered in, in this show, <laughs> like a love square within the first episode. You know, right? Like the, yeah. char- like the, like Archie again, spoiler alert <laughs> has Holy shit going episode. on. Not, not with one, not with two, but with three different women <laughs> in the first episode. Yeah. Like, not all right. Love triangle, a love square, a love square. <laughs> like it's, it's, and two of the girls crazy. already have something going on between them now. Yeah. So like, it's just <laughs> like, come on, like, let's give us a little bit of time to, for this, for these things to kind of develop. It's like ADD, man. It's like, 
Okay, I'm over here. Oh, I'm over here. Oh, it's this. It's that. It's whatever. It's, it's like, totally ADD. It's yeah, ADD writing. Yeah, it's ADD writing. It's like just you know, trust that this thing you're working with is enough. You yeah, know? it's like, and it's. So I feel like we should coin that. Yeah, <laughs> ADD writing. ADD writing. Yeah, cheers. Just, That's good. I cheers. like that. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Beer? Well, yeah, why don't you talk about this beer? That was a perfect um, uh, nice transition. So this is another yellow dog. Um, I like y'all. I like getting to yellow dog. I believe they're Port Moody, but um, they're a little far for me to drive out to. But uh, Old Dog is what this one's called, and it's an alt beer. And it's, you know, I don't know what you're thinking about it, but you already knew because, um, you know, it's not a secret. Um, but this one has a very, very strong flavor mm-hmm. for me. It's like, and it's, and it's very dark and, um, it has a, uh, like I didn't taste it before I got it. This was yeah. a surprise to me as much as it is you. Um, I do like it. I have been enjoying it. It's not what I would go to on my first thing, but I kind of get the whole thing about the old dog. It's got kind of like a, the name they gave it. It's got this kind of feeling like, you know, of, you know, if you have like finer cheeses or something, yeah, it kind of gives me like, it's like a fine, it's like a, it's like a more robust, uh, you know, beer. It's like, I really want a flavorful beer today. Yeah. This is what I would go for. But if you're just having like, if you want to have a bunch of drinks and you want to drink a bunch of stuff, yeah, this is not what I would have because I, I find that if I had too much of this, I'd kind of, I'm going to hit a, a point where I'm like, okay, I've hit my point. Yeah. But for one or two, I'm like, okay, it's, it's a really nice tasting rich beer. Yeah. I, I've, I really like this actually. Um, it's for me, it's just really beautifully balanced. Like it's, to me, it's easy to drink. Like it's, yeah, again, it's not something that you, and I, I think that that's not really the point of craft beer either. Yeah you know, if you're just looking for shit to pound down, like, yeah, you, you go to, you, you buy, you buy the cheap shit. Yeah. Like you just go down like that stuff. Yeah. Like it doesn't taste like water. It doesn't taste like anything. You yeah. Know? Um, you drink craft beer. It's because you're, you're meaning to like kind of savor it a little bit. You're looking to enjoy the uniqueness of, of the brewery and, and the people making it and, and there's more going on with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, you wouldn't just be like putting these back necessarily, but I still find this a really easy drinking beer. Like, I do find it easy. It's drinking, yeah. super easy drinking. Like it's got a ton of flavor. Um, but it's not harsh. Like it, there's no harshness for me in this one. Like it's a nice balance of like, it's not too, too sweet. It's not too bitter. It's, it's hitting the sweet spot for me. <laughs> yeah. I really like it. I'm really like, I'm everything I've been having from yellow dog. I'm just, I'm just blown away with. Yeah. That's, they're really good. I think they got a lot of, they got a lot of great beers. I mean, this is, I think our third or fourth or fourth or maybe our fifth with yellow dog. Um, I know it's our fourth at least. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're, you know, they're really, they're really great. Um, really great brewery. And I, I, you know, doing all these breweries has been really nice. I mean, you start to, you know, we've done 106 different beers or at least 106 now because we did a couple doubles. But, um, you know, what I'm finding now is that, um, I have a pretty good palate for different types of beer now and different types of flavors. 
And it, it, it's just a more, there's, there's more to experience with it all. And I think this is the really neat thing about this whole craft brewery thing is where, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, <laughs> teenager drinking beer, it's funny, but, um, when I was a teenager having my beers and whatever we were doing, you know, I didn't have much of a taste for beer. I didn't, yeah. you know, whatever. It's kind of almost what was ever put in front of you. It, it, you know, my differentiation was like, is it Bud? Is it Kokanee? Is it Canadian? You mm-hmm. know, is it like some other fucking cheap fucking crap that like, you know, costs like as little as possible for a can. Right. Yeah. Cause that's what you have when you, you know, you're younger, right? Like usually. Um, and so, you know, you kind of, it all kind of just tastes the same. You go like, this one's a little more bitter this one's a little easier. This one like makes me less gassy or like whatever. Right. Yeah. But craft beer like gives you this whole expansive, um, kind of appreciation for beer. And that's, it's been really neat. So, uh, yeah, I like this one too. It's a, it's a two thumbs up for me. It's, um, for me, it's, uh, it's like one, it's more like one that I'd like to throw in there, you know, into my mix. Um, and I'd really enjoy it. Um, and then I'd probably, you know, balance it out with a few others. Like I, I definitely mm-hmm. get it on my, uh, you know, like, like a, on port, a, on a, a taster. On a yeah. Flight. Yeah. Totally. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. I'm glad you that's like good. it. Really uh, good. I got some more yellow dog options I want to bring to the table as well. Sweet. Can't so, wait. Um, yeah. So anyway, so we're talking about all this stuff, expository and I want to say that there was one moment that was in the show. I was like, that's great. That's brilliant which part that was, it was, there was a scene where it's, um, I mean, and it happened in the middle of the garbage of the ex of that horrible <laughs> exposition. Is this the one I pointed out? Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was like, which is so strange because it's like you do this really kind of, um, lazy piece of writing and then you do this, like, you know, a really kind of nice piece of writing within that which was like, yeah, it said so much, without yeah, it saying said anything. so much without saying anything, but like we kind of saw it. She was digging her nails into her hand. Like you could see like she was just burning, but she was keeping her shit together. And she just like, like she actually like bruised herself, bruised herself. Like she cut herself with her nails. Cause she was digging, like she was so angry. Right. But she didn't show it. Right. And I was like, but we got to see it. And I'm like, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Like more of that. <laughs> more of that. Just do, do more that. of that shit. Like that, that's, you've already shown that your ability to do it. <laughs> Clearly you were capable of doing this. Well, that's the thing that, that, that kind of makes me like, like shake my head a little because I go, well, you know that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I assume that was a writing thing. I assume that maybe the director looked and thought, you know what, let's do a close up of the hand and just show this. But like, there is a writing element in that, which is that it seemed obviously, very deliberate. Yeah. Obviously they she did was a shot of the hand. Obviously she was stressed out or upset or whatever was going on with her. And they never commented on it. She just said, I hope everything's okay with you. And you were yeah. like, Oh, nice. And then there was that one moment and you were like, if, if your whole fucking show was like that, this thing would be masterful. Yeah. And the acting, like the acting would be so much better because the actors wouldn't have to tell everything. Yeah. They could just fucking act and like, you know, and actually do it. And I like, I think like, you know, if you were an actor and you got that role, fucking do it. 
Because you know what? You're going to make a shitload of money and you can move your career forward and it's going to get you into mainstream media. Yeah, absolutely. You're not selling out. Do the absolute best you can. Do the best you can. Do the best you can with what you got. And you know what? Try and bring something to it. Honestly. You know, that's that you, that means something to you. And I think that's the best thing you can do with that kind of material, you know? Totally. And I think like, it's hard, like writing, writing is an unsung game, especially in television especially when you're a part of a team and you're on bottom, bottom ring of that team, um, for television. But I think that, you know, you do the best you can try and bring your ideas to the table. Maybe everyone goes, no, we have to tell, like, I don't know how the meetings go. I'm not really sure. I've, I've had, I've interviewed a few people who are like showrunners and stuff like that. I kind of am beginning to get an idea of how it works. Yeah. I've never been on the writers. I've, I've written pilots, but I've never been on a network show as a, as a writer, yeah, like in a team. Yeah. Yeah. On a network team, you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. But I think that, you know, you know, grit your teeth, you know, bear your exposition that you're forced to write or whatever you must do. And as an actor, bear the exposition you must say. But I think that we need to use the leverage we create with this kind of commercial content and, and look at how we can use it to, to, to create better art. Because until someone takes that forward step, the people who just know how to work the system are always just going to create the content. And I'm not like, in some ways we can't complain. I mean, we have to look at it and go, well, I haven't done enough to make that a difference. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I look at myself and I go, like, I teach people how to write. I mean, it's, it's, I don't just consult on jobs. I actually teach people how to write. But part of my mission is, is, you know, not just to be a great storyteller myself, but I really want great storytelling in our, in our world. And so I look at it as like, you know, you've, put in this amount of effort to get across to this amount of people. Like right now I can pretty much call, I mean, I can call almost anybody and just interview them. Like Mm -hmm. I've kind of gotten to a point now where I can just open up doors and I'm like, why aren't you opening up more doors? And, and I would say that my honest response, I mean, this is a conversation myself here, but my honest response is just, it's just work and it's time and it's effort and it's energy. And you know, and it it takes a certain amount of my life commitment Mm -hmm. to get connected to that because there's shit I want to do, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it's hard. Like, I mean, people talk about having a dream, like it's this lovely little thing the whole time, but sometimes even when it's working, it's fucking hard. It's just, it's, it's, it's not that it's like, it's not, I love having the interview. I, I like connecting with the people. I like getting to know them. I like doing the things we're doing, but, or I'm doing with that. But what ends up happening is like, I want to take a break. I want to go for a fucking walk or watch a television show or, you know, or, or play some video games or just eat, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And so there's a certain part of it where you go, okay, well maybe now what I have to start looking at is how am I going to, like, who am I going to bring onto my team to help me do some of this stuff? Because, yeah. you know, at a certain point I'm only one person. And I think like, when I look at like the Riverdale thing, m- my biggest concern with it is I go, I don't see a cohesive vision where there was someone who is like really passionate about like, we're going to tell Archie, but we're going to tell it dark. I didn't, I didn't get the sense that there was, everybody was on that vision. Mm-hmm. I got it like more like a marketing play. Like people are really dig it. Cause it's so innocent, you know? And the fact that we're making it dark and sexualized, that'll be real. Like, it was more like a, I know this will, people will buy it. That's more the feeling I got from it. Yeah. And 
I think if we tell it this way, it will impact people in a way that's really profound. Yeah. I didn't get that from it. Mm. And I mean, I don't know if you did, I don't think so, but no, <laughs> no, it's meant to, it's yeah. meant to titillate. Yes. I would say. And distract. A, yeah. And entertain. And entertain, you know, and it's, and again, there's room for that, I suppose. Um, but in terms of who I think that we're talking to, yeah. I mean, we're talking to each other right now <laughs> and we have our mentality. And I think the people who are listening, I mean, they're probably in, in a pretty similar boat, you know, like you're thinking the same, the same way. It's like, well, what do you ultimately want to be doing? Yeah. You know, and, um, and I won't say that it's wrong to, to do, uh, to take on a job like this, if you were offered to do something like this, you know, again, see what you can bring to it. You know, maybe you can, you can show a way of being like, Hey, listen, like, I know we had this like big scene of like expository, whatever, but what if we did it like this, you would still get to show this and do this, but we wouldn't have to, (laughs) you know, have this piece of dialogue in it. Right. Like you can, it always just, you know, it just requires a little thought. Here's here's what I think, you know, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not the most experienced in the industry side of, of this business, but you know, I have a little, I would say that I think that artists need to have a little more balls, a little more intestinal fortitude, a little more stronger ovaries, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) I want to include everybody. Yep. Um, but I think that we need to have a little bit more gusto in our, in our, um, argument for our art. Yeah. And I'm finding this even with myself. Our convictions. Our convictions is to bring to the table is say, look, I'm an authority as the artist. You hired me not because I just know how to fucking structure a script and I know, and I know how to use the software, but because I actually have an idea of how these characters work and how this story works. And like, you know, and I think as artists, we, we need to have a little more conviction about what we're trying to say and, and argue for that, cutting out some of that expository information. Because mm. when I see all the expository information, my guess is that the writers were, were hand, like handcuffed a little, mm-hmm. probably partly po- poorly trained, but probably partly handcuffed a little, yeah. because I would imagine that the producing side, the, the company um, was a little bit like, okay, well, we just want to make sure everybody knows what's going on. We don't want, you know, we want to make it clear. We want to make it obvious. Yeah. You know, we want to run it. And and I think, you know, where indie film runs into some mistakes is that, you know, you get to the editing table and then people are like, Oh fuck, we missed this shot. We missed this thing. And Mm. now none of this makes sense, Yeah. but there was no expository information to back it up. Right. So you had to get that shot. Yeah. And so like, I think that, um, if you think about it, when you look at say Riverdale, it's like double checking your work, but like in front of everybody, it's like, (laughs) we're not only going to tell you what's happening. We're also going to show you what's happening. And you know, sometimes we might even not just tell you and show you, but we'll remind you too. We'll have someone else say it again, just to make sure that you got it. And it's like, you know, and, and I think that there's a certain part of they're the belief that maybe they're dealing with a passive audience. So they're like, let's just make it really, really easy so that if you miss something, you're not like totally out of the loop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's where art goes to die. Yeah. I think that's the graveyard of art. <laughs> but also in my earlier point, I said, some people don't call themselves artists. And I really think that actors and writers and filmmakers, and especially because we're talking about the film industry right now, I think you really want to consider yourself an artist. I think that it's, it's important because if you don't, if you think of yourself just as a technician or a craftsperson or yeah. whatever, I just think you really cut yourself off of the knees at what you could be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You silence your own voice. You silence yourself from having your own opinion and things that you want to say. Yeah. Right. At, at, in the service of what? Right. And I, and I get the whole idea. I mean, I've heard the whole argument of like an actor comes in and honors the script and that's yeah, what you of do. Course. And yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. You do. Yes, you do. 100%. But you also on top of that bring you, which is this, you really unique, profound little thing that we don't even understand. And you don't yeah. even understand. And, and you don't understand until the moment happens. You know, it's like, you know, it's really interesting. Like I was bit by Doverman Shepherd or what is it? Doverman, a Doverman Pincher. Doverman Pincher. I mean, uh, in the back of my thigh yeah. when I was a teenager Oof. and I was also bit by a Afghan in the face, literally right on my nose. I'm lucky. I don't have fucking scarring on my face from this, yeah. from this. Um, I've been bit twice in my early years, um, both while being a teenager. And, um, I, I developed a fear of dogs for a little while. I loved mm. animals. We had animals my whole life. And then for a period of my life for several years, I was scared of dogs. And sometimes I still am. Sometimes it, it sneaks back up where I I'm next to a dog and I'm a little more suspicious than I was when I was pre pre bite. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really interesting how things work though, because, um, I was walking with a girlfriend of mine it was late at night. We'd come home from the bar and we were only several blocks away from my house. So we decided we'd walk back together, holding hands, all that. And a dog, this, uh, uh, wasn't, I was, I wouldn't say it was like a pit bull, but it was something, uh, you know, similar to that breed comes running up like a half a block away and it's barking and, and like, it's the middle of the night. It's like two in the morning, maybe two thirty in the morning, three. And it's coming at us and it's, it's growling and it's snarling and it's barking. And it's like, it looks like it's going to attack. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know what it was inside of me, but I had this moment where I was like, I put, I, I literally put her behind me. I, I push, pushed her right literally behind me. And I looked that dog in the eye and I, I pointed at it and I said, no. <laughs> and it's, it literally ran up and it stopped and it, turn it, it turned and it walked away. It stopped barking. It stopped doing anything. And I was like, and we walked home and she was like, that was really crazy. And I was like, it was really crazy. It was number one. I, yeah. I like my fear of being hurt by a dog. If I was alone, I don't know, might've been more prevalent with the fact that she was there. I was like, absolutely fucking not. Will anything ever hurt her? Not while I'm present. Mm. And I faced this dog down, but I was so fucking certain that I was like, it's you and me, buddy. Like you come at us. I'm not backing down. You know what I mean? But I was just determined, but not in a, not in a, like, uh, like I didn't have any angst towards the dog, but I was like, absolutely not. Like you can bite me, you can do whatever. But previously, for me to get to that point, to come from a place of fear, to literally stand up to the dog and, and, and look it in the eye and, and just its response. 
was fascinating yeah. to me because there was a kind of like transcendence of, you know, the place I had come at as a teenager. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, if anybody's been bit by a dog, they know what I mean. Like when you've been bit by a dog, it's, especially if you really like love dogs and you trust dogs, mm. especially if you've been bitten in the face, it, it's freaky. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a scary thing. It's, it's yeah, a hard image totally. to get. It, 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 it kills a certain trust you had in yourself, mm. you know, because people say like, why are people scared of dogs? Well, you've probably never been bitten by a dog. You've never trusted a dog and then had a dog, you know, and, and the dog that bit me, you know, they can say, Oh, you provoked it or you did this. It's like, no, the dog that bit me in the face, um, was abused by the person who kenneled it. It was, it was mistreated and you know, whatever. And I was a kid and I, I didn't realize that, you know, and, and even my family, no one really knew how to deal with, with it. And, um, and it was very, a comfortable dog with me. It was, it, it trusted, you know, we, we hung out all the time. I'd walk it. It mm. listened to me all this just good play. And then one moment it got scared and it, it came and it bit me in the face because it it, it perceived me as attacker for some reason. Mm. And all I did was, you know, it was probably some physicality or something I did, you know, that reminded it of Mm -hmm. what its breeder had done. And, you know, I think the thing is, is, um, there's a point I had to all this stuff. Yeah. I think I get what it was. You were standing up to this, this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying like as a writer, like, you know, uh, I think that was my point is that, you know, you, you might not, I don't know what my point is. I feel like you might not always, I feel like I kind of knew where you were going with it. You might be scared. You're going to lose the job. You might be scared. A bunch of stuff's going to happen. But I think that if no one ever stands up for the artistry, if no one ever stands up for what's important, most important, if you don't have any conviction, you know, we'll always be bullied by industry as artists because industry has the money, industry has the power, industry gets it done and made and whatever. And industry also unfortunately can treat us artists like we're replaceable. And, um, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that we all face a little bit. Yeah. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all feel a little bit like, well, there's so many actors, there's so many writers, there's so many filmmakers and, you know, and, and until you have a name for yourself, you, there is a certain amount of like, you know, a, a replaceability. Well, we can get someone else. Yeah. But I think that in a way, what makes you not replaceable is your willingness and your conviction towards standing up for what you believe is right, because yeah. not everybody is willing to do that. And so that does make you, and I don't think you should do it just so you can stand out. I think it's a be- a bonus, but I do think that we should have a conviction simply because it creates better art and we all want better art. And that's why yeah. we're a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where, um, it's our convictions where, where greatness is, is born, right? Like if you just follow along, like you'll, you can very easily just slip into mediocrity and forgettabilities. And when you're in trying to create an artistic career, that that's can make things very difficult for you, you know, and you have to balance these things between short and long term. Yeah. You know, it's like, and, and kind of, that's why you need to be thoughtful about the kinds of choices that you're making and, and where you're compromising, um, and where you won't compromise. Right. I mean, yeah, like that could cost, not compromising can cost you, but compromising can cost you too. Yeah. Like it's either way, right? Like you could compromise your entire career and have a very safe 
thing going along, but never really create anything that was of any value to you. You know, you never really spoke with your own voice. You never really did anything with your own voice. Um, and that's not where artistry lives. No. <laughs> artistry, and I mean, I, I think like we, and we had a discussion about this. I mean, artistry is very subjective and individual and expressive um, of that. And industry is very objective and systematic and, you know, um, predictable and yeah. scientific almost. And so, you know, I think that in these industries that we're working with, we're, we're, we're always trying to find a balance. And yeah. sometimes the way scale needs to be put a little bit more on one side than it does on the other, simply because otherwise it would be, it wouldn't fit. Yeah. You know, when I think about indie film, it needs to be more artistic than industry. It just needs to be because yeah. that's the only way it's ultimately really going to work. And but, it's going to actually even have commercial success to a degree, right. degree because people are going to see an indie film. They're like, I want to see something that is, you know, artistic, something that has substance yeah. behind it. Yeah. And then with, uh, you know, you look at, uh, say this Riverdale, right. It probably uh, relies just currently more on the industry side of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that sometimes when we weigh more on the artistry or we weigh more in the industry, we start thinking that we just balance it too much, you know? And it's like, it doesn't mean that there's not room for art. It doesn't yeah. mean that like, like I look at Riverdale and I go, it's a systematic paint by numbers show that has all the predictable elements that all these shows have. I mean, let me just give you a bunch of comparables that are almost exactly the same. Yeah. Watch <laughs> the OC, watch night, nine or two and oh, watch even Melrose place, watch, yeah. uh, you know, just name it. There's a whole bunch. Watch the scream series. It's all really just yeah. the same kind of thing. Watch like gossip girl watch. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're all the same. Yeah, it's in, all, in, it's all kind of systematic paint by numbers. You start to see it after a while. You start to see the predictability of it all. Now I'm not saying that they, that, that paint by numbers model is not what they use. Use it. That's fine. But, but that doesn't mean that now everything needs to be expository. You can keep the yeah. same system you're doing if you really want to, if you really feel that's necessary, yeah. but like have a little more trust in the audience. And I think that you could take a commercial show and make it a lot more interesting and a lot more compelling. Yeah. You know, as opposed to just being a guilty pleasure. And like, I guess if it's more than just about dollars and cents, I mean, you know, the thing is you can still create, this is my thing. It's like, you can still create a sort of a, a titillating kind of scandalous show you can still fulfill the requirements of that and, and still have something of real meaningful substance underneath it, like a real heartbeat underneath the thing. And that's when, and it's when those things kind of come together, you know, and that you, when the few shows that kind of find that balance, you know, and they walk it and it just becomes like, they become iconic, yeah. you know, they become, and if they don't become big, huge successes, they become cult classics right? And you, and you look back on them and you go, it's like, yeah, it was so good. Like it just, it walked the line of everything. It made me laugh. It was like, it, it entertained me, but it also like kind of cut into me at times too. Right? Like it was called classic is like the producers and networks, like least favorite term. 
<laughs> because what that says to them is that we didn't make our money back right away. Right. And we had a whole shitload of stress, hmm. but then everybody really liked it. And so in a way it was like we succeeded, but we all lost our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I get it. I mean, I get the struggle. Like, like Gary says, the struggles. Real. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a balance. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's wrong. And I, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in there, but I, I'm really an advocate for good art and great art and great yeah. stories. And I think that if, uh, we have a little bit more faith in our, in our audiences, if we have a little bit more artistry in our work, it wouldn't hurt. Cause if I feel like right now, and it's probably been a struggle since forever, even with Shakespeare, mm. you know, I think Shakespeare was someone that was like, kind of like, he even says that in one of his plays, he says, you know, it talks to actors. He's like, you know, and he points out, don't it's, I think it's in Hamlet. Yeah. Don't just say the lines. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, you, you know, it's like, and he talks to them directly because he was probably so frustrated with them doing the industry of acting that he was like, have some fucking heart in this shit, you know, like put yourself in it a little bit. Don't, you know, don't, don't try and put shit on top of it. Like be you, yeah. whatever you, however you say it, like be that. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is that that's kind of, we're dealing with the same damn struggle. It's like, be you in this thing. Like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to remember what that line was now because he's talking about these acts because he, there was an actor that he, that Hamlet sees and he's just like, Whoa, like there's a real emotion going on. He was kind of blown away by it. And right. he realized that the play was the thing which he would catch the King. Ah. Um, but he, he's, he goes on this things like, had they, had they like the, the, the passion or, or I wish I could remember how to quote it, but basically it's like, if they had the, like the f- amount of human feeling inside them that I have, um, they would, what, Oh, it's such a good line. I wish I could remember it. Um, but he's like, I'd make, it was like make mad. I would, they would make mad the guilty and Mm. Oh, something like it was so fucking good. It's great. I mean, it's Shakespeare, right? It was, it was absolute poetry. Yeah. I wish I could remember. The thing about him though, Uh, is like, that's, that's the thing about poetry is like poetry and is. Paul the free. Sorry. I, it just came to me. He's <laughs> like, it would, Paul they the would free. make mad the guilty into Paul the free. Mm. Yeah. Anyhow. Well, and it, and you know, that's the thing about poetry is when poetry is done truly from, you know, the heart with real feeling and, and a real kind of intensity to try to express. Yeah. It really is quite powerful. And I, I think that that, you know, poetry in many ways is one of the close, like it, it, it weighs heavily on the artistry scale m- way more than it ever does on the industry scale, mostly because people haven't figured out a way to make money from poetry other than through music. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and even now like yeah. poetry is being bastardized with music, you know, where it's just like, let's just find a catchy beat and let's do this and whatever. And there's a certain place for that. I get it. I think that it's not to make anything wrong or bad, but to look at it and go, could we ask more of ourselves? Could we ask more of ourselves 
as who we are, you know, to bring more of us to the table in this, you know, like, can I still meet the industry at what it needs, but find more of me in this, you know, to me, it's like to speak more honestly. Yeah. It's like, you know, be more truthful in this. I think that's really, I mean, this is one of the big things. This is one of the cornerstones of art of that. We keep coming back to is how can we be more honest? How can we be more honest in our work and cut the shit? Mm. Right. And, and we keep, I think, you know, that's the thing is we, we keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and I think this is maybe where part of my issue is with, with, you know, Riverdale's that it's like, where's the, where's the honesty? Where's the truth in this? Like, you know, it is, it's very, not honest. It is very fantastical, <laughs> but you know, and maybe it's a bit of an escape, you know, you escape into this kind of like hyper world. Right. But even in a hyper world, you can, sometimes it's even a better forum to create or to say something of substance, you know, like you create like, yeah, everything's like super larger than life and very, you know, dramatized. But sometimes that actually opens us up a little bit more and you can like end up throwing something in there that really, again, it cuts deep, right? It says something very honest because, you know, you're kind of like, it's like with cartoons often, you know, it's like why South Park gets away with so much of this shit that it does. You know, it's, it's because it's a cartoon, right? And you go, oh, your guard's down, you know, you're watching and it's, it's funny and it's entertaining and you're going along with it, but it is one of the most honest commentaries on society that's out there. Like, and that's why the show has been going on for as long as it has and why it's continues to, to speak to people. Like the show actually speaks to people because it has, it has a, it has a real, very <laughs> brutal, but, and funny honesty about what's going on out there. Yeah. And what's going on with us. It's not a show that I watch a lot of, but what I do appreciate of it is that it's unapologetic in that yeah. what it's, you know, what it goes for. And, um, you know, I think that, I think that that's part of the reason why these things, you know, they really work yeah. as well as they do. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's interesting, like, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I think that as artists though, we got to look, we got to look deeper into what we really want, have some conviction um, have a little more honesty with ourselves, be a little more real and we'll have more fulfillment. I mean, why the hell do this industry if you're not going to be real and you're not going to like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I stopped doing commercials as an actor and I don't know, maybe I'll do more commercials one day. I don't know. Who knows? But I stopped doing them for a time because I was just, I got to a point where it's like, you know, when I was a kid and I wanted to be an actor, yeah, I thought it would be really cool. There's a part of me that thought, yeah, it'd be really cool to be on TV, period. Yeah. But mostly I wanted to be a part of like these stories and these really cool things. And I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to do the car chases and the action sequences yeah. and just be a part of all that. And I thought it'd be fun. So, you know, I did my commercials. I've been on TV. I've done all that. And I, you know, I did that. I got that on my system and I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to be a commercial actor. Yeah. And then, and then the next thing happened, the next stage happened for me where it's like, I don't even know if I want to be an actor like in, in these shows. Like I like the idea of like having a successful career and getting myself into mainstream media, mm. 
But I moved away from more the commercial type of television and yeah. movies too, because to me, that wasn't super fulfilling. And I, you know, I get it. Some of my peers will peers will scoff at me, in, yeah, in a sense, and say like, "Oh, well, you just couldn't make it, or whatever." It's like, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe you're right. Um, but there's a different path for everybody. But you know, I don't know if it's that I couldn't make it as much as that I didn't care enough to do what it would take to make it. And, and, and if you're doing it and you're making it, maybe you care enough about that. And that's great because that fits authentically with you. But like, but you know what? And I'm, if I'm doing it and it doesn't authentically fit with me, then I don't want to take your job away if that's what you really want to do. Yeah. But I'm just talking about myself personally. I'm not saying anybody should do it the way I've done it. I, I've just realized in my life that there's a certain type of movie and there's a certain type of creation I want to make. Yeah. And that is what it is. And maybe there's less money in it. Maybe it's not as, uh, socially normal, but you know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm working at being more authentic with myself, you know, even turning down writing jobs, you know, that are not authentically fitting with what I want to write. Even if the paycheck's good, even if they offer me more and more money, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, what, what point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't know, it's interesting, man. It's like, it's like a fine <laughs> line. I mean, cause you know, yeah. I'm not going to say that I'll never say if you pay me enough money, fuck, I'll bet your trite piece of shit. Why not? You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'll do it. Cause fuck it. You know, at a certain point it's like, <laughs> it's worth it. Cause you know what? The amount of time it's going to take me to the amount of money you're going to pay me based on what I'd have to do to make that money currently in my current situation absolutely. Why the hell not? You know what I mean? I'll put my artistry to the side and subjugate it a little bit here so that I can get this thing done. And if you, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to really go for it that hard to, to get me on board, then fine. But I think that's part of how we move forward. You know, you got to figure out what you're going to say no to, you know, because once you say no to, what's really interesting is that once you say no, people want you more in a weird way. But you, you know, it's not, you don't do it because you want to be wanted more, but you kind of go, okay, well, where's my line? Yeah. How much would they have to pay me? And then you can throw that number out. And I believe that's how most writers actually get paid a lot of money. Yeah. You start going, like I need to see Sorkin going, uh, or someone like that. I see Sorkin because maybe he's well known. Maybe not. I don't know. But I get to see someone like that going, all right, well, I'll do it if you give me a million. And they're like, okay. <laughs> he's like, really? Yeah. He's like, oh shit, I should have said more. Yeah. I feel like Sorkin <laughs> at this point, people like whatever yeah. he writes, people will be like, yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you right. however much for your next script. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but I mean, he, like for writers, he's, he's one, he's like, he's one in like a fucking like not even a million. He's like one in like 500 million, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say billion, but yeah, 500 million. Let's do it. No, like it's, yeah, I, he, I don't know. No, he's, 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 he's incredible. I mean, like in, in terms of, and I mean this, like he is a, a, an amazing writer, but I mean like in terms of his position, the position that he's in as a writer, like there's, there's very few people who are in a, a similar position as him it's a really rare scenario. You know, I was talking about that with a friend is as a writer, you know, you you don't often, even the best writers don't get a chance to write that much stuff in their career. That is really profound and like well-known. And it's, it's just the nature of how it all works. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, that I would want to do moving as a writer is I want to be in a position where it's about, I would rather do a very, few projects that I really loved 
than do a whole lot of projects. Mm. And, you know, because the thing is, is like, I think if you become a writer for hire, the problem is you get paid less, you get paid lower amounts of money and you just do a lot more work, but isn't it better to do less work, but stuff you really care about get paid more? Yeah. I mean, totally. It's like that with everything, like even acting, like, like James Dean did three feature films, but he's James Dean and everybody knows who James Dean is. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, you could, you know, there's other actors who have done, I've heard there's one actor who's done 160 films. I don't remember who it is. But yeah. It's like, nobody knows who that is. Like who's the actor that's done yeah. that? Someone probably It's does. like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, there's actually, they made a documentary called like that, that guy who was in that thing yeah. or something. And it's all these actors who you go, Oh yeah, yeah. Like, and you recognize them and you can't remember their names. I'm, which is, not to be, I, I don't want to, no. that's coming off as a judge because like a lot of the actors in it, I'm like, yeah, they're, they always do a tremendous job, you know, in, in everything that they oh, do. Yeah. And they're solid. Um, and that's why they keep doing movies. Yeah. But I think that even, even if you ask them, honestly, you said, what would you rather, would you rather have the iconicism and say without the death of James Dean, where you did three amazing fucking movies Yeah, where they were like life changing or would you rather do and be a working actor and do 160 where nobody knows who you are and you never really felt deeply connected to really most of them. Right. And I would probably argue, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally off my fucking rock. Yeah. Who knows? But I would say that most of us would really love to have been a part of three iconic films that go down in history. than we would, um, 160, 180, 200 films or whatever it is, uh, films that are forgettable and most people won't remember even a fraction of Mm -hmm. them. And I think that that's, that's just something to keep in mind. It's, it's not to say that, you know, and and we're not all going to be James Dean. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, some of us are going to be in a lot of stuff and never be known and that's fine. So anyway, that's okay. I think we're getting the feeling we got to wrap it up. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I'm, I'm feeling the pressure. You're feeling feeling the the pressure. pressure. That's what happens when you drink beers. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice when we have a guest because one of us can sneak out every now and then. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, hold this down. Well, this was a good talk. Like I, I enjoyed this talk. You know, it's like we didn't dive into some of the crazy shit like we do sometimes like depression and <laughs> I know. We didn't well, get, yeah, we didn't get as deep. No depression talks today, but you know nice. what? This was still a good I I really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, sometimes you just you, you get into the the nuts and bolts, you know, the craft and the real application of artistry. You know, like real application of artistry. Hmm. Um within industry and where it can, can suffer and where it can shine. And, you know, I, and I'm glad if anything I can say about this show, which, you know, (laughs) some people might love, absolutely love Riverdale. Um, but it spurred on a really great conversation, you know, out of this whole thing. And, you know, it's not like, don't get me wrong. This, it is not like, the most horrible thing I've, I've ever seen in my life. Um, just for me, I think, you know, where I get upset is because for me, I, and maybe it's just because I have my own vision of how I see it. Um, but to me, I feel it's like, oh, there's, it's in some ways it feels like there's, there's missed opportunities Mm. that are going on in it. And, um, and missed opportunities for people to do really great work. 
you know, like for writers to really do great work for actors to really do great work, you know, I mean, there is great work being done in it in the sense that it's like, yeah, like, again, like the production value production design in it is phenomenal. Mm. And like some of the lighting and the, and the photography, really beautiful stuff. Um, and really, I, I do think there's really talented people involved with it. And it's, so I guess what I'm going, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly, but, um, you know, it's, it could tell the truth a little bit more. It could be a little bit more within a sense of reality, be a little bit more honest instead of dealing with things on a very superficial level, you know, like give teenagers credit for fuck's sake. Yeah. You know, like teenagers aren't stupid. You know, I know you might think so, you know, based on, but I mean, teenagers aren't stupid. You know, you can, you can aim a little bit higher. I mean, it's obviously teenagers are the people who are being targeted with this show, but I think that with your audience, you can trust your audience a little bit more. It doesn't matter what age they are, you know, expect a little bit more Mm. from, from your audience. And I think that you'll get it. Um, so yeah, being more, more truthful again is like the big, one of the big things here. And the other thing I think that was sticking out for me about this conversation, at least that I had in my head just a second ago. Um, oh yeah. And, and just in terms of practical things, you know, you're an artist, you're at a certain point in your career and, you know, maybe there are some things that are happening for you that, you know, it's not the most artistic thing that you're involved with, but you know what? It's, it's a great opportunity because it's going to give you a paycheck. It's going to help get you noticed, right? Um, still find the opportunities to be your artist. You know, it's, I, I always thought, you know, you bring more than what would be expected of you to, to certain, you know, like for example, to a show like this, right? Where it's like, yeah, you know, there's this, for me as an actor, I'm like, yeah, like that's not, it's not a super high bar for what's being demanded of you as an actor. It's pretty low. Like there's not much being demanded upon you other than the fact that you've got to try and make some of this expository dialogue somewhat real and natural. That's the biggest challenge it really presents, but see where you can bring more than what an audience would expect Mm -hmm. to it. You know, like bring bring more for yourself, bring that to it. Right. And people notice that kind of stuff. Johnny Depp got noticed on, um, uh, 21 jump street. Yeah. You know, which was a teenage drama kind of thing, right? He brought something more to it and he ended up making a jump to things because he, he, in a point where he was getting noticed, he was like, no, I'm going to do like what's in Gilbert. Great. I'm going to do something really fucking good because Mm. I love what I do and I want to do something more. And he nailed it. And he's had a career because of that. You know, if he rested on his laurels and just like rode that sort of hot wave that he had just like on the, on and continued just on the same path, we might not have the Johnny Depp who, who did blow and who did fear and loathing in Las Vegas and who did Edward Scissorhands, you know, like we, we wouldn't have got that. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have got that. So if, if you're in a position 
and you or you in the future, you find yourself in a position like that, you know, make sure you're taking on stuff that is meaningful to you still, you know, when, when people are clamoring for you, it can be a very dangerous time. And that, and yeah, to touch back on, uh, on a point, it was like, you can, you can, um, yeah, like you can have bad, there's consequences for compromising and there's consequences for, um, for holding your ground, right? Either way, there's consequences to be had and they can lead you in this exact same place. That's a really good point. Yeah. And if they do leave you in the, leave you in the exact same place at the end, you probably would have rather stuck by your values, you know, and had conviction rather than, you know, and I mean, I think, I think that's the thing, you know, I, I, I like this whole thing about, you know, we were talking about being more honest being more honest, being more real, giving, uh, giving people who are, um, taking in whatever you're creating, um, giving them more credit. I I like those ideas. I mean, I think that, you know, what I take away from all of this stuff is with, with this conversation is, you know, I know we, we kind of, if anybody who's involved with Riverdale or whatever is living is, is a part of listening to this conversation, I would say, you know, I'm not, I definitely don't like harping on anybody in particular, but let, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. The show is not the deepest show in the world and it's yeah. not the most real. There's the, you know, there's not like, it's not about good and, or bad. It's and not, we don't have to watch it either. You we know, we don't have to watch it. <laughs> it's not, it's not about, you know, it's not about that. I mean, you know, there's a point in the story. I mean, it happens around minute 35. If you want to watch it, where the girl, the mean girl in the fucking dance party talks to her friends. I pointed this out and her two friends are behind her, two lackeys. And she's like, make sure they come to the party. Oh yeah. Nobody would fucking talk to their friends like that. Yeah. Nobody does that. That just doesn't fucking happen. Cause if you talk to your friends like that and you didn't even look at them and they stood behind you and it does, I don't care how fucking cool you are. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. They'd be like, you're a fucking asshole you know? And if they were, you know, and the thing is, is like, unless you had the fucking weakest people with the lowest self-esteem around you, would that ever happen? And the thing is, is that the way they do this show is so cliche in that respect Yeah. that it's like, okay, just take a moment to think this out a little bit before you, okay. You want the girl to make sure that she gets these people to her party. Like, instead of doing it the easy fucking bullshit way, think a little bit about what it might take for her to do it. And don't treat everybody like they're just a fucking, even if they're an extra and you know, they're going to be an extra. Don't have your characters talk to them. Cause now I know they're a fucking extra. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like y- you made them seem like a fucking lackey out of a stupid eighties action movie. It's like mm. terrible. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that the show is bad in and of itself. I'm not saying that anybody who's a part of it doesn't have the skill. And I think that most people who are part of it probably realize that, Hey, like this show is a moneymaker. It's probably going to do whatever. And it's paying the bills and I'm doing my thing. I would say use those things as stepping stones in your career. You don't have to avoid them. You have to make them wrong. You don't have to make them bad. But once you get them, set yourself up for your next project, start getting your next script written, start getting your next project ready, start inquiring, meeting people, doing things to set up your next move and think about 
it as something that you will take charge of, not something you'll wait as a gift to like get and be selected for, whether you're a writer, filmmaker, or actor, whatever. Yeah. And even if you're a director that comes on to one of these shows and you're like, they hired me for three episodes or an episode and I'm just going to do my job. Don't treat these projects like a job. Don't, don't, don't become a filmmaker or an actor or whatever and treat your career like a job. Treat it like a part of your life, you know? And some people will disagree with me, but I think that like everything you do, treat it as a part of your life. Don't, we shouldn't even have, we should, the concept of jobs should be gone from our world because your job is your life. If you spend that amount of time working, that is your life. That's what you do with life. It's not just a job. It's, it's how you live and you don't have to go to that job. But we treat these things like, well, I'm at work. I'm not really living. It's like, fuck off, you know? Yeah. So anyway, um, so, so that's my point about it all. I I don't know if I made made that clearly or not, but I I just say be engaged in your life. That's, that's the end end point I got. I mean, it started with that and I'm going to end with it. Just be engaged with your life. It doesn't matter if you're cleaning fucking toilets, be engaged with it. You don't have to be like, engaged with the toilet itself, be engaged with the fact that this is how I'm living. Cause you might realize I don't want to clean this fucking toilet. And, and you know what? You might be like, but I have to clean this toilet because of blah, 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 blah. No, you don't have to be engaged because your life is passing you by. Things are happening. Yeah. And everything that you're a part of, as you said earlier, has consequences, whether you're doing what you love or you're doing what you hate, they both have consequences. They both have yeah. effects and you deal with them regardless. Yeah. So and, start being engaged and, right yeah, now. And it makes me think of that, you know, that speech that, that Jim Carrey gave, um, that honorary speech that he gave. Right. Or whatever he said. It's like, about his father. Yeah. It's like, you might as well do what you love because you can, you can do what you hate and still fail at yeah. that. Right. You can settle on something. You can compromise on something in your life and you, that can still just shit all over your life, you know? And it's like, if something, if it's going to, if it's kind of a crapshoot, no matter way, in which way you go, you might as well do something that, that was within you, something that you're passionate about. Well, look at, yeah. uh, look at Detroit, right? Now the, the car manufacturers are removed. I bet a lot of people took on that job thinking that's the safe choice. I got a career for the rest of my life. I'll do this and make money. I'm, I'm living in a pretty nice house. I bet most people, when they started that job, they were getting paid pretty well. They were living pretty well. They were going out for drinks with their friends. They were buying the, like whatever fucking yeah. shit they wanted and they were living. And then the thing is, is those jobs got removed and you know what? They might've subjugated some people not everybody, but some people might've subjugated their true passion and true real desire to do that safe choice. And then it was a massive amount of people that were left. Oh yes. And this is, this is the world we live in. So I think that artists are the ones who, you know, when you, when you declare yourself as an artist or a creative, you're someone that says, I'm willing to be authentic to who I am. That's all you're really saying. Yeah. You know, whether you're, you're good at this craft or not, you're being more true to what your true expression is. Yeah. And that's what these conversations are. Find that artistry, find the balance between the industry and that artistry. Don't just subjugate yourself entirely to industry Mm -hmm. because industry doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah. It really doesn't. You're, you're, you're being used by it. Yeah. And 
you know, and you're, sometimes you're it can using be mutually it. beneficial, but yeah. yeah, learn how to make it mutually beneficial. And listen to that podcast, you know, in, in the game of industry, the house always wins. Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen that to that podcast. If you, you know, after this topic, totally. because if you haven't listened to that one, you'll start to understand what we mean. Yeah. Cause industry does not give a shit about you and it's just there to make its money. And when it, when it's good, it's good. And if it's good for long enough, you're happy. Yeah. But if it fucking leaves you on your ass and dead and broke and destitute, you get upset and there's no one to blame, but you, yeah. cause you gambled with it. Totally. That's why we need artistry. All right. You got to take a leak. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> Let's wrap this bad boy up. Okay. Thanks everybody for tuning into the podcast. I am calling it. This is Brandon and this is, <laughs> Oh, please come on. It's Evan. Oh, see you. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.